you'll have to excuse me. I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. I was up all night on this new app called Clubhouse. Have you heard of this? No. Oh man, it's crazy. It's like it's it's like the Wild West, it's like the new social media platform. And basically, what it is is like a live, almost like just imagine like uh, talk radio, but that you could participate in. Like I, I guess is the is the the elevator pitch of it. Um, so like it's this uh, new app. You you have to be invited, and a friend of mine invited me. So how it works is you create a profile you have what's called uh i guess they're called rooms and uh you can jump on a room or create one yourself and it'll just be like people talking and i guess how they talk about i guess the way they label it is like so when the people who are talking or they're called on stage and then everyone else is in the audience but um you can raise your hand to get called on stage and then you're brought into the you're brought into the conversation. And then, uh, so I jumped in this room. I saw, I was, you know, like perusing the different rooms. And I saw a friend of mine was on listening to, uh, a conversation. I get, it was like Tom green and dead mouse and, uh, a few other people. And so I go in and listen. And then, um, uh, it was, it was just crazy. It was like, uh, like Tom Green had started it. He's like living in his van right now. I don't know if you know about like that whole thing he's doing. Yeah. So he's like living in his van and I hear him and Dead Mouse chopping it up. They're telling stories. Dead Mouse is talking about like, you know, how he had to get a million dollars in uh cash in casino winnings from Vegas over the Canadian border and like and then they were talking about coyotes and then Tom Green fell asleep. <laughs> and I had tried to raise my hand to to, to jump in the combo, but I didn't get called on. Anyway, so I stayed up, this is like two nights ago, I stayed up pretty late that night just listening, and then I jumped back in yesterday to, uh, and I'm, you know, trying to figure out where, you know, okay, what conversation do I want to listen to or whatever, so um, I find this one, I jump in it, people are talking, they're talking about like AI, and, um, you know, whether or not it's possible to because you can't really program AI, but whether or not they can sort of incentivize it to to have uh, to minimize human suffering, you know, when the AI overlords take over. Then I kind of I'm putting some things together, and I realize it's the same room that Tom Green had started the other day. So um, it's the same people, like a couple of the same mods, but then different people had jumped in. But this thing, this room has has been open now for. I think it still might be open, but at the, at the time when I logged back in yesterday, it had been open for like 30 hours. Oh, really? And then, um, so I raised my hand again to talk, and this time they pull me up. They pull me in to jump in the combo, and then, like, we were just, like, you know, swapping stories back and forth, talking about, like, how COVID has affected the touring industry and what that's going to look like at the other end of the deal. And and then, like, it's – and. So most of the rooms, I guess, is like, you you know, they, they have a label and then you kind of stick to that topic of discussion in the in the room. Right. Okay. And then. Um, and, and, but this room, because I guess because Tom Green doesn't know how to use the platform, he forgot to label the room or whatever. So the, con- the conversation has just run the gamut of like anything and everything you want to talk about. So like and it's been going on now for like. I logged off this morning as the sun was coming up after like, you know, (laughs) conversating all night and yeah, it's bizarre, dude. So I think 
the one of the mods wants to call it uh, the Hotel California because you can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. And they're, <laughs> they're trying to see how long they could keep this room running. Was he doing it from the van? Like, was it was a live thing then? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he he was. Yeah, he was um, logging in from his van, like as he was talking or whatever. Like he was, you know, talking. He was like on the Mojave Desert and. Yeah. He's with the dog and stuff like that. And, and, um, dude, the crazy thing about this platform is that right now, I mean, it only has, I think 9 million users and, but it kind of, the participation kind of went vertical from its inception. It's only been out for a couple months and it started off super low. Even just like a couple weeks ago, it was only like at like 600,000 and then it shot up to 9 million. I think that's where it's at now. But right now, because it's invite only and there's a certain, there's a certain demo, I guess, that's sort of, uh, you know, discovering this thing and utilizing it. Right now, it's about a lot about networking. Um, there's a lot of um, people in the entertainment industry. Um, the demo, I guess, is like between 30 and 60. So there's not like a whole lot of young. There's not a lot of younger kids who have, you know, discovered it yet or haven't been invited in. And eventually that's going to change, I guess. We were talking. That was one of the things we were talking about last night is like. Will uh, will there be a a, a a sort of TikTokification of this app, and what would that look like? And how does it once it gets opened up to the general public, what's it gonna you know like? How do we see it? Because right now it's like everyone's just kind of like sharing their wisdom. I mean, there's literally like legit people, like NASA, like bioengineers, um, like you know music industry experts like the room that i was in last night like this dude tom cohen ended up being one of the mods and he was like the digital um digital media marketing uh head of the department of digital media marketing at dreamworks when my band was signed there and like so like as i'm introducing myself and i kind of gave my you know my little spiel about you know i was in a rock band or whatever and then Tom jumps in and goes, we might know each other. I was, you know, I was at DreamWorks when you guys were there. I'm like, oh, shit. like, so we kind of, we had a, uh, a little moment there, but this guy, yeah. So Tom Cohen, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's a pretty, pretty big uh, deal. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just, there's a lot of like right now pro experts and professionals. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the, it's kind of like one of those weird Hollywood parties that you go to and like, you never know who you're going to meet. It's kind of like that vibe mixed with like a, a cafe where everyone's just kind of like talking and, and it's very free form. It's pretty badass, dude. Huh? Yeah. It almost sounds like yeah. a, a little bit like Reddit too, in a way, with just like forums and random conversations and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Except for instead of just typing, you know, it's like people actually having a, you know, a, a in, in person, at least a audio conversation, you know what I mean? That's crazy. Yeah. I have yeah. never heard of that. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, man. I'll, uh, I have an invite. Maybe I'll send you an invite. Once you get invited and you sign up, you get two invites. And then as you gain whatever points or, or clout or whatever, as you use the app, you get more invites. So I have three more invites. Maybe I'll just send you one. You can check it out, dude. It's pretty rad. Yeah, yeah, no, do it for sure. That Tom Green in the van thing, I've been following that, actually. I wanted to do that for a while. I was like, what would it take for me to get a van? Because I can take my little mobile setup, and I can do podcasts. I could do my show here in Boise from anywhere, you know? And so I was like, well, I'm going to go do what Tom Green's doing. But he's gotten pretty crazy with it. I can't do it where he's been going with, like, grizzly bear protection and stuff like that. Yeah, dude, I, I, um, I watched one of his, like, webisodes or whatever, vlogs or whatever on youtube and he was in um 
He was in New Mexico. Dish, are we recording this right now? Because we totally should be. <laughs> it, it, no, it is. It's uh, it awesome. Is. Once you start talking about the app, I clicked record. I was like, okay, this will be cool. Yeah, totally. Because this is, yeah, this is what it's all about right here. Um, yeah, I watched a, a, one of his videos where he was like in New Mexico and just kind of like pulled off the side of the road and didn't really have like a plan or a, um, you know, a mission. He just kind of wanted to see where the road took him and ended up like talking to like locals and sending his drone out getting some really cool shots and it was cool man it, it's a it's really and just like his commitment to like he's really is about that life like he is right now in his van yeah with his dog you know like he's not front it's not like some kind of production where he's like you know shooting the thing and then you know like going and staying at the four seasons at night like he's just He's just living in his damn van. It's awesome. Yeah, because I watched like the the prep of it too. Because he was on Instagram, you know, before like at his house doing all this stuff from his studio and all these things, and he kept talking it up. And then you know he he got he adopted the dog, and it's just been pretty crazy to watch. Because like you said, he kind of goes wherever, and then he stopped by and did the Joe Rogan podcast, you know. And then I think he came back home, and then the second trip was like going to be this crazy like a higher level of it with you know going into deeper, scarier places or whatever. So it's been kind of cool to to watch. And just to be able to like go let loose like that and do whatever you want, it's kind of uh, inspiring. Yeah, man, I got I have to watch some more of the watch some more of his clips. I think I'm only just seeing like one, you know, one or two. But um, it'd be kind of cool to just jump into that and kind of binge some of his his episodes. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's pretty cool because he he goes on uh you know his YouTube channel too, and it's super. He's got like 4K and he's got some good equipment because they decked out that van. Like I, I looked at the inside of it, and he's got a full on. I mean, he can play music in there. He can do podcasts. He can do all kinds of stuff. It's it's super cool. I mean, he's got a full yeah. audio set up in there. And then I think isn't Stevo doing like something kind of similar where he's doing his show like from a van too? Like it's called like Stevo's Wild Ride. Yeah, yeah. Is. is he doing that right now? Yeah, yeah. He's he's just sitting. He has like a producer he does it with, uh, and he's just sitting like on the back of like a I don't know if it's a van or like like a motorhome kind of a thing. And he brings people in on the screen and interviews them. He's had some cool interviews on there though. Um, interesting ones i mean he had like rob deerdeck on there and that was interesting to hear all the business stuff he talks about like he's just super smart in the business world he had um he had one of the guys from icp on there the other day which was just like interesting to you know hear steve-o and, and them talking oh wow he has this random guess i saw the one uh where he had uh, john davis from corn on yeah that was pretty cool that yeah. was that was a really good interview oh and then he actually mentioned he actually mentioned my band too because they were talking about the you want to call it the wall of death or they call it the brave heart. Like, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but at festivals, like, um, and this is something we used to do where we're playing a festival or, or, you know, large outdoor thing. Jacoby would like separate the crowd, call yeah. on the crowd to separate from the middle. And then like at a certain point in the song, like you yell, go or some, give some kind of signal and then have the two sides of the crowd run at each other and start the mosh pit like that. And, uh, it's something that we learned, I maybe I'm, I'm, I want to say like maybe on warp tour or maybe even before that. And I think I forget who we saw do it. Like it was like sick of it all or something had done it. And then we just kind of took it over. But Steve-O had mentioned that the first time he had ever seen it done was when we were doing it. Oh really? And uh, yeah. So I was like, I was, you know, I'd had a little moment there. I'm like watching, you know, the episode and I'm like, Oh, shit, he shouted us out. That's awesome. <laughs> great. That's crazy. Thanks, Steve-O. Yeah. Warp Tour was the home of that stuff. I remember probably uh, early 2000s, I got knocked on my ass for the first time ever in a mosh pit during Pennywise. 
because they do those giant circle pits you know they just go like around the entire area and just i thought oh, yeah. i was, thought i was real cool i was super young and i just went right in there and i was right on my ass I'm like okay i'm not doing that again but yeah now i run from that stuff because i'm just too old oh dude please believe yeah, you won't catch me in a pit, dude. I don't need a, I don't need a trip to the emergency room at my age. It's so bad now. I mean, we don't have shows right now, but we do have shows. It's like I'm hanging out in the you know side stage or back somewhere where I'm like away from people and that kind of thing. But absolutely, you can catch me in the back corner, or if there's a balcony, I'll be there. Yep. <laughs> if I'm not like, or you know, maybe on the side of the stage, if I if I'm lucky enough to get a pass or something, you know what I mean. But although I do appreciate the sound you know like from out you know actually you know where the best place is to watch a show for me is front of house like if i can get uh at right at the mixing desk like that's usually pretty much the sweet spot you know what i mean because if you figure like the guy who's who's responsible for the sound that's where he's at so you know he's gonna make it sound sounds good to him it's gonna sound pretty darn good so yeah they got it dialed in yeah, no, you're yeah. right. Actually, the the X spot, like our, our station staff hangs out, like at Knitting Factory, for instance, there's a balcony up top that's kind of like reserved for us. And so we were always up on the balcony. But what we'll do is, you know, go up and introduce the bands. And then we have like a thing where we'll watch at least one song, usually together from that band on the side of the stage, just to, you know, have that experience. And then we go up to where you can hear better. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to get to get you at a show at some point once we have a, a show here in Boise. Oh, man. I'd love to, dude. I am so down. To, well, just number one, just to just to go to a show again would be amazing. And um, you know, like I think we were talking the other night too, just about you know the you know the local scene and and the shows at the Knitting Factory you guys have put on and stuff like that. Um, and, and like I, I'm totally down. Like I'm always you know supportive. Like even like you know when I was um, back in Sacramento, you know like always supportive of the local music scene or like, you know, a couple of friends of mine, you know, own venues and stuff like that. And there'd be, uh, you know, if not a, a touring band coming through, like with a local opener, you know, sometimes they have local showcases and it's always cool. Just to kind of, you know, you hear, you know, just like, Oh, you got to go check out this band, you know? And like, I'd show up, you know? And, um, so I'm definitely down like to just be a part of whatever, you know, voice he's got going on here. You know, once we get that ramped up again, and that's the thing, man, we'll, we'll have you out because it's uh, it's fun. There's a special thing about Boise and the rock community here and in the local scene, like we were talking about the other night, too. You know, I was explaining those uh, exclusive showcase shows that we do that kind of tie into my Sunday night local and new music show. And it's it's kind of cool to give a lot of these bands a place to play on the you know, we call it kind of the bigger stage knitting factory, that kind of thing. Yeah, but it's a really cool vibe. I mean, the bands are just there to, you know, have a good night, have some fun, get exposure to new fans and that kind of thing. And then we also do our free X show series where we bring in like a, you know, national headliner that's maybe kind of an up and comer. Sometimes it might be a band that's kind of coming back around again. Um, you know, and they just want to play a free show and pack the house and have fun. But I mean, <clears throat> yeah, anybody from like Chevelle, Evanescence, the killers have done those when they were kind of like upcoming, you know, bands or whatever. So, um, that's hopefully a series we'll bring back. I mean, we had one that was actually scheduled at the end of March that we had a, you know, it was one of the first shows we had to cancel when all, all that was going down. So, Oh man. Yeah. It was a bummer. Yeah, dude. I mean, dude, it was actually something that we were talking about last night in that conversation on the, on that, on clubhouse or whatever was, you know, when people are expecting, um, this, just, to, the touring industry to fire back up and like what that's going to look like. And, um, uh, you know, dude, uh, dead mouse had brought up a good point. You know, he's all like, you know, right now we're like on a pause and everything's kind of just in a, in a, super holding pattern, you know, and, um, 
but you know, eventually it will fire up, but he's like, you know, he brought up this great point, which is like when it does fire up and there's, you know, acts, you know, regardless, either bands or hip hop or EDM or whatever. Um, he's like, I'm interested to find out, um, who's going to be buying tickets because a lot of people are running, you know, I hate to say it, but you know, I hate to sound dire or grim, but there's a lot of people who just ran out of money, dude, like this Mm -hmm. last year. I mean, like, you know, you want to talk about either getting laid off from work or they were a small business owner, they're, business shut down, they had to fire all their employees or, you know, there's a lot of people who can't afford to pay rent or put food on the table and we're going, you know, on a year and it, it's going to go well beyond that, you know? And, uh, man, I don't know. It's, it's, it's almost a bum out to think about, but there, yeah. there's a lot, there's a lot on the other side of this that we're, that a, a, many, many different industries are going to have to figure out how it's going to work. You know what I mean? And, but I mean, I'm confident that it will get figured out, but it's going to be a long road. It's going to be a long road. Oh, but dude, I wanted to tell you. Um, so you were telling me that one of those showcases you had done, you had middle class rut. Yeah. Uh, it was the headliner. And then you were telling me that Sean from middle class rut lives up here. Well, yeah. I tracked him down and I talked <laughs> with him the other day. Yeah, it was dude. It's, it's, it's rad, dude. I was like, once I found that out, I like went into full, like, uh, full, like stalker mode. And like, I called a bunch of people I knew in Sacramento. I'm like, Hey dude, like, I guess Stockham lives out here. They're like, Oh yeah, yeah. He moved out there like five, eight years ago. Yeah. And I was like, no way. So, uh, I ended up, uh, actually called Zach and, uh, left him a voicemail and then he hit me back and he was like, Oh dude. Yeah. Like I'll, uh, I'll forward you his contact right now. So I called him up and we had a great combo and we're going to link up. Like at some point here when the weather, you know, I'm wondering if uh, the people listening are wondering why I keep talking about the Boise area as if, as if uh, I'm here. Yeah. That was my, my first thing I was going to bring up was, you know, welcome to Idaho and people don't know that you're in Idaho. We've kind of teased it, talked about it a little bit, but you know, I wanted to make it, have you make it official? Yeah, dude. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, the cat is out of the bag, I guess, right here and now, officially. Um, I have relocated out of California, and I landed in Boise. So I'm officially Idahoan now. That's crazy. Or as Idahoan as I can be. You know, now I you know, can't say I'm a native, but it's uh, it, you know, we, we ended up moving out here mid, mid-November. And, uh, yeah, here we are in February. So we're like a few months in. We made it through our first winter, and... It was great. We had a lot of fun. We we're, we actually enjoyed the snow. Um, what little of it there was. I mean, there's still a little bit on the ground right now, but um, yeah, dude, we're here. We out here. That's funny because we we found out because Jacoby hit us up. It's like, hey, Dave lives out there now. Hit him up. Go be friends. Basically, we're like, all right. So you know, here we are. Yeah, man. Yeah. When I was tell when I was talking to Kobe. Um, you know, he's like, oh man, like if you're, if you're looking out in Boise or whatever, I think, I'm not sure if we had found the house yet or if we were just looking at that point, but he had mentioned, he's like, yeah, my, I know, uh, Randy from the X out there. He's like, you know, you should link up. So he's the, uh, sinew that connected us together, man. It's cool. Yeah. That's so cool. So what made you move from California to here? Just change the scenery. I'll tell you what, dude. Um, there was just a lot that happened last year, um, that kind of just, uh, you know, for me and, and my wife both, it just kind of opened our eyes to 
what's really going down in California. Um, as far as, you know, I don't know if you want to talk about politically or socioeconomically or, you know, whatever. And, um, we just started feeling this, this sort of pull from our deep in our gut that maybe it was time to move, you know, time to get out. And we did some research and we found out like a lot of, you know, a lot of people from Hollywood and, and entertainment industry are moving out. Like, you know, Rogan moved out, out of California. He went to uh, Austin. So we, we had actually looked, we considered a few places around the, around the country, like, you know, Nashville, Austin, we even were looking in um, like South Carolina, like St. Louis, just different. I mean, just different places on Zillow. And these are all places that I've been on tour. And so I kind of know the general vibe, you know, the place I actually did a lot of work in Nashville a few years ago on a, I had a side project going on or not a side project, but I had a project that I was, that I was involved in. And uh, that was based out of Nashville. So I was there a lot working. And um, so my wife ended up, we, she had started looking in the Boise area because uh, her grandfather actually had moved out here a few years ago. And just, just on a whim, you know, we just kind of started looking, you know, in on Zillow, you know, like, Oh, what's it like in Boise? And, and I had, I had fond memories of coming through here on tour. We always had a good time and I really enjoyed the area. And, um, we ended up finding a great house, a great opportunity. And, um, we took it, you know, we, we just kind of, we made the, we just kind of threw all, uh, threw it all to the wind, you know what I mean? And, and just made the move. We kind of just pulled the bandaid off and said, you know what, if we're going to do it, let's just do it. And, um, we, uh, we found this place and, uh, we ended up moving, like I said, in November and we just, we love it. We love it so far. Like no looking back for us. I mean, like, um, yeah, it was just time to go. And it, which is odd to say because, you know, I was born in LA. I've lived in California my whole life, you know, aside from being on tour for 10 years. Um, and so I've had that experience, but I've never, I've never actually, you know, had a, you know, been a, a, a homeowner or, you know, had my home base um, outside of California, like my entire life. So it's very, it's very different, but it's, it's super rad super rad so far. And what's the biggest change for you? Cause I, I lived in SoCal for, you know, six years in my twenties, I grew up here, but the change for me was the pace, the change of pace, you know, adjusting to that down there and then moving back here and adjusting back to it. And so, I mean, have you seen any kind of change obviously in just like lifestyle or anything like that? Man, for us, I mean, actually, you know, if you want to talk about what last year was like for us living in California or, you know, I mean, like everyone, I mean, it was a radical change of pace for everybody. Right. So for us, I mean, like we were like, all right, if we're just going to stay at home and not really go anywhere, like let's do it somewhere else. You know what I mean? And, uh, um, you know, it's funny, but Boise actually has, at least for us, like for my wife and I, and, and for our kids, um, it has very similar vibes to Sacramento. Like, and, and that might seem odd to say, to some people, I don't know, or maybe some people might know exactly what I'm talking about, but, um, you know, there's a, uh, it's like just big enough to be a cool city, but small, small enough that, you know, it's not super congested and there's not a lot of that really kind of manic energy that you find in a lot of the bigger cities. And that's something that I appreciate and, and me and my family appreciate better. And 
I mean, I think that it's better for the kids. Um, you know, they're, they're enjoying themselves out here so far. And, um, yeah, for us, I mean, it's, it's, it's right where it's right in the zone, like right in the green zone of where I want to be. I mean, it has a great food scene and uh, music and arts. Uh, from what I can tell, I mean, like, I'm, you know, obviously it'll be really cool to jump in to the community once everything starts opening kind of back up and firing up again to, you know, back to its, you know, full potential. But I mean, like, it's, it's just been cool to, to, you know, like be out and about downtown on uh what's that what's that area downtown where it's like they have it they have it sectioned off like a walking a walking area it's like by freak alley down there what's that oh, called well there's there's eighth street and there's also bodo where like edwards is and that kind of stuff and where the okay. knitting factory is the, the venue we usually go to oh okay um yeah i'm not it might be eighth street it's eighth street and uh i don't know anyway it's a really cool area and it's like very similar to something they have in Sac in sacramento called the r street corridor where they have a bunch of restaurants kind of like all in a row and it's really good food and it's just a vibe and a hang. And, um, man, we just dig it, digging it, man. I'm feeling Boise. Have you driven in the snow yet? I mean, we only had that one kind of snowstorm, I guess you'd call it, but yeah, dude, we went up to, a <clears throat> we went up to bogus basin, um, a couple weeks ago to go snow tubing. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was like my first experience driving up the mountain in the snow and luckily we have a four by four truck. So I think it made it easier than, you know, if we were driving our little, our little, you know, four seat sedan, but, um, yeah, dude, it was interesting, but a lot of fun and like, Hey, we didn't die. So <laughs> I'll call that a win. Yeah, That's cool. for sure. Yeah. Cause I think it was around Christmas time and you hit me up looking for some spots and I said something about going up in the Hills and you're like, uh, I'm, I don't know about that yet. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's, you just gotta, you just gotta go for it. You know, like it's, not a fun thing to have to do like a commute every day in, you know, but it can be fun at, at certain times. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, just driving down like 84, um, in the snow. It wasn't bad, dude. It really wasn't. I mean, I, you know, like, you know, everyone kind of has it down, you know, if it's like, it doesn't snow too much here, but the infrastructure and like, you know, they keep the roads clean and, and clear. And, um, I would say, uh, people's driving is, is, uh, is a lot better, more, uh, more, uh, more responsible than, than what I'm used to in California. People, California drivers are pretty wild. So everyone just, you know, no one's like doing like a hundred down the freeway and, or, you know, like changing lanes crazy or stuff like that. So it makes it, it makes it easier. It's a the learning curve was, was smoothed out a little bit for us. Dude, I hope you don't mind, but I'm cracking energy drinks. Like I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I drink energy drinks alcoholically now, dude. Like my wife's like, dude, you got to chill. You drink like five a day. That's funny. I keep but, hearing the crack. And I'm like, what, what is he? <laughs> yeah. Cracking up ice cold, bro. <laughs> yeah, man. So right now I'm drinking a purple monster, monster zero. Nice. Yep. Nice. That's yep. funny. You know, when I moved to California, I learned real quick with the, the driving because I didn't know what those stoplights were to get on in the freeway. You know? They, oh, yeah. <laughs> I had, I'd never been exposed to those in my life because I grew up here. And so I went... I stopped at one thinking, oh, there's a light and it wasn't on. And I didn't know it was only certain times those come on. And so I had this whole trail of people behind me all pissed off and they're going around me, flipping me off, honking. And at the time I was in my ex's like little Honda Civic with, you know, like girl pink stickers all over it. And I'm just like, oh man. But I learned real quick how to adapt to that lifestyle of driving because it's, you gotta, you gotta be on it. Oh yeah, dude. Oh yeah. And the, yeah, the traffic meters, 
it's uh yeah you have to know what's what's going on i mean like really you, you don't need them out here yet at least um with the with the uh you know we've been noticing or just like the research that we've done before moving out here like i guess like this area is like one of the fastest growing areas in the entire nation for a few years now or whatever and uh so it'd be, it'd be interesting to see where it goes. Of course, now that I'm here, you know, I was like, hey, man, I, I hope everyone welcomes us when we get there. Now that I'm here, I'm like, yeah, let's keep those Cali, Cali uh, bastards out of here, man. We want to keep it small and darn it. <laughs> keep, 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 keep your California out of my Boise, damn it. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't here in the summertime, were you, yet? Um, I think in the late summer we had come up for just a, over a weekend just to kind of like check it out and uh so it was kind of more like late summer early fall i think it was maybe september i want to say so okay yeah it was like late summer and okay. um yeah it was it was you know at the tail end of uh there was still some fires happening oh yeah uh, yeah there was still a little bit of smoke in the air and i remember like driving up here we had we had there was a huge fire going on like all of california was on fire as it has been like for like the past four years consecutively now. Yep. And, um, there was still a little bit, there was a little bit of smoke in the air here, but yeah. So, um, yes. Yeah. We had come up in the summer, but where were you going with that? Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Cause we, we got hit with it pretty bad. Uh, that smoke stuff for a while last summer, but I was going to say that's when it gets really fun here. I mean, with like floating the river and all the different stuff you can do. I mean, the Boise state football games and you know, well, that's more kind of going into the fall, but there's just a lot to do. Like I'm not a big snowboarder skier. I don't know if you are, but that's obviously the wintertime stuff here to do. But summer just explodes with cool things, fishing, outdoors, whatever you want to do. It's, you know, there's a lot going on. Man, yeah, we we can't wait for that. I mean, and now you know the weather's starting to warm up just a little bit, and you know we've been kind of like every weekend we'll take just a little you know drive just around town or like a little bit just around here and there, just kind of learn the area, just kind of go get lost. You know what I mean? Yep. And go find a cool place to eat. We'll just roll out with the whole family and our boys. Like we were in, we were in uh, what do you call it, Cuna uh, this weekend, and we just pulled over at a at a rad little taco truck and had some lunch and they just you know kind of just drove around and tried to get ourselves lost. You know what I mean? And then and then at the end of the day, find our way home. And uh, I think we ended up we ended up at the uh, the old factory outlets over there on uh, and South southeast boise oh yeah yeah yep. and uh yeah got myself a new pendleton which was cool nice yeah nice. um but yeah dude like that's kind of just what we've been doing now you know now that you know the the super frost and, and stuff like that is kind of is transitioning but we can't wait to get out into like you know there's like the the Hawaii's, yeah um you know or like you know there's mccall to the north and uh, one of our neighbors was talking about heading out to doing some, uh, some, uh, four wheeling out at like jump Creek or just whatever, dude. I mean, like we're all about it, dude. I mean, like we want to do it all, you know yeah. what I mean? And that's, that's the kind of stuff that we like to get into is like just your outdoorsy, like doing some, maybe some camping, some barbecuing, you know, floating down the river or, you know, jet skiing if we can find it, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, like I said, we have a four by four truck, maybe taking that out, like trail riding a little bit, you know, just doing that kind of stuff, dude. The other thing too, is I don't, well, maybe it was like this when you were here, but it stays light till like 10 PM here in the summertime. Oh, that's what we heard. That's yeah. what we heard. I don't, I don't think it was there. I don't think, I think that, that had, that had already 
uh, ended by the time we were here, or maybe it didn't. Maybe we just didn't notice it. But funny enough, one of our our um, our neighbors um, down the street, like they they moved up from Cali too, from the Bay Area, and um, so we we kind of made fast friends with them, and they were talking about how uh, she, according to uh, our friend Yvonne, like she said, like it stays out, like the you know it's all it's like uh, the light. Maybe it's like the sun has gone down, but there's still light mm-hmm. until like 11 o'clock at night, which I'm like, whoa, that's a trip, man. It's crazy. Yeah, it makes yeah. it makes the summers feel longer. Like you can do more, and it, I like it. You know, have you picked out a local favorite radio station yet? Oh man, there's a, I heard from what I hear, like there's a station called the X. Like it's like 100.3 or something like that. So <laughs> I've listened a few times. I mean, it's pretty cool. There's this one knucklehead DJ though. I don't know what his whole deal is, but. I don't know. Some dude, Randy or something. I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. Don't listen what to that guy. What a weirdo that guy is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty funny that that one night you hit me up. You're like, yeah, we're out looking at Christmas lights, listening to your show. I'm like, oh man, this is it's like a full circle moment too. Cause it's like, you know, I listened to your music and your albums all these years. And now it's like you're listening to my show. This this is cool. This is really cool. So I appreciate that, man. Yeah, man. It's super cool, dude. And and uh yeah, we were out. We were out and about um, driving around. I think we were in Meridian that night, just going around a different. We had the we had the app pulled up that lets you know where all the Christmas, the cool Christmas displays are. And which did you send me the link to that? You might have. Uh, I, I think, I think I did. S- yeah, I think it was like a map, right? It was like a map. Yeah, it was a yeah. maps thing. Yeah, and then you like we typed it into our nav and like you know it, let, it lets you know where all the all the cool displays are. We were, we were doing that that night, and then in the you know all the while like we had your show blasting. Like what? Okay, what you have to let me know because I'm, I'm. What when is your your show? Because you you brought you your show's like every night, right? Yeah. In the evening. Yeah. Uh, so from, from like what time to what time? It's eight to midnight. So pretty much. Oh, eight to midnight. Yeah. Usually, so in the summertime, I can. Well, no, I can't because it's not dark yet. But I'd say usually I say after dark, and that covers it. But eight to midnight, Monday through Friday. Fridays eight to ten, which is the all requests, and then Sunday I, I do six to midnight, which is. Between ten and midnight, those two hours are all local and all new stuff. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, dude. Even you know, I know we're doing this today, but I mean, really, you can hit me up like any time, and like I'll just I'll roll through the studio and just like I don't know, chop it up with you for a minute. You know what I mean? And like I'm always down for stuff like that. Yeah, you're always welcome, man. You just be a co-host. Yeah, right. <laughs> dude, maybe I found a new gig. That's what I'm saying, right? Right. We would have like our own nightly show. It'd be Brad. No, I better I better watch it, dude. I'm getting my so I might get myself into trouble, dude. I might find myself with a new job here pretty soon. <laughs> I might be out of one, too, at this point. <laughs> Last Idaho thing is uh, I saw you discovered fry sauce recently. I did. I did. You know, and it's weird because, like I said, like, I've been on tour all around the country. And apparently, like, so, okay, well, I'll let you know. Like, we were, we were at, I forget what restaurant now. Babe, do you remember what restaurant? Oh, it was uh, Eureka. No, no, no. Was it Eureka? Well, they had the truffle sauce. They had the truffle fry sauce. But but that wasn't really – so we, we went and had, like, dude, like the most amazing fries we've ever had. At, I think it's called Eureka uh, downtown. And they had, like, they're, like, uh, black truffle. Uh, somehow they put some black truffle, like, on the fries, and then there's a sauce that comes with it that's, like, mayo and black truffle. And it's, like, amazing. But – we were out the other day, and I forget what restaurant we were at, but they, you know, there's like this pink sauce, and uh, I'm like, what is that? And they're like, oh, it's fry sauce, and like they kind of explained it to me, and it was basically ketchup and mayo with maybe a few little 
few little things to make it, you know, more interesting in there. And it's super rad, dude. And I can't, I can't remember. I like, even though I've been through Boise before and apparently fry sauce is a thing, I guess around the whole, like the, the mid, the middle America States and like in the Midwest, it's even a thing, but I can't remember ever coming across it until just the other day. And, uh, we were actually at, what is it? Freddy's, Freddy's frozen custard. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, and then, yeah, we were at Dave and Buster's too. Dave and Buster's had it. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, dude, I'm all about that fry sauce life now. <laughs> it's so weird. Cause I, you know, growing up here, I just thought fry sauce was a thing. And then when I realized it, it's not everywhere, that was, that was weird to me, but now it's the opposite where people coming here. They're like, what's this fry sauce thing? Oh yeah, dude. I'm about it. I'm it's, about it. It's funny you mentioned Dave and Buster's too, by the way. So that used to be a Circuit City, and if I remember right, I, I want to say that's where I picked up Infest back when it came out in 2000. I, oh I think, man! Like like right when it came out, I think it was still in like the new music bin kind of a thing. Back when like CDs were still a thing. Yeah. Imagine that. Oh yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like when's the last time you, I don't know, popped in a CD to a CD? I mean, like I don't know. It's just, it almost seems like it's like ancient history now. It's like, you know, it's like even it's funny because I'll even I hear more about vinyl than I do about CDs, you know, or, or like cassettes. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, something like I'm trying to explain to my kids. Yeah, there's these plastic things that you put in a player <laughs> and that's how you listen. And there was only 12 songs on on each one. You know, and my kid's like, what? What are you talking about, man? This is crazy. Yeah, my truck doesn't even have a CD player. Like my heart hurt a little bit when I couldn't put a CD in. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah, they don't even, they're not even making cars with CD players in anymore. I, I think know. my truck still has one. Oh, really? I think. But I, I, I literally never use it. There's still, I know, yeah, nobody does really. There's still something, though, about, for I don't know, for me, you know, like kind of growing up with it, taking the CD home and opening up the package, and there's the artwork and the lyrics, and you, you put it in, and like the physical aspect of it. There's something about that experience I, I still think can't ever be replaced fully. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, I remember when I was first getting into music and it was like in the late eighties and I was discovering music and there was this, this subscription thing like called like Columbia house. If anyone out there oh, knows man. what I'm talking about, good for you. But it was like this, you can, there would be like an ad in a magazine like Rolling Stone or something like that. And you can get 10 CDs for a penny. <laughs> and then there was a whole like gimmick behind it where you had there to was. subscribe and order more CDs and that's how they got their money. But yeah, you get 10 CDs up front for a penny. Yeah. And I remember just getting those in the mail and like, yeah, dude, you're right. Just like tearing open that plastic and like, you know, going through the liner notes and like, you know, really taking in like all the whole, like the art, the artwork and the, even like whatever's printed on the CD. Like if it was, you know, if it was cool or if it was just super generic, that would be a bum out. But like, you know, the, the cool bands or whatever would like print something cool, like some kind of artwork on their CD. And that's how it was back then. It was like an experience experience, you know, and those, um, I think I did a BMG one once. It was like BMG and Columbia House were the ones. And it was almost like a scholastic book order. Remember those back in school for CDs? Oh, yeah. But you're yep. right. There was a thing behind it. But if you played it right, though, you actually did get those CDs for super cheap. Like if you sent the one back or whatever that they were sending you. And there was like a thing where you could kind of do it right and get some cheap CDs. And that's where I that's where I learned about a lot of bands, honestly. Just kind of going through and picking stuff that I thought I might like and, and discovered a whole lot of good music that way. Oh, yeah, dude. That's how I, I mean, like. I guess I'm like showing my age or whatever, but I mean, like I had discovered, I mean, the bands that I really first got into early on was like, I discovered classic rock first. I mean, 
I mean, for me, okay, so like the first show I ever went to was uh, the Jackson 5 at Dodger Stadium in L.A. And um, that was like my first big concert that I ever went to. But um, like, like I'm originally from L.A. And uh, um, my aunt, I, you know, we're kind of, our family's kind of from the west side. My, my aunt went to like Venice High School and stuff like that. So um, I don't know if you know who Suicidal Tendencies is, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, so like when I was... She used to babysit me around that time. She's only like 10 years older than me. So like she was like maybe 16, 17, and I was like six years old. And she would like ride me on the handlebars of her beach cruiser to go see like suicidal play at like local punk rock venues. Like I would go see, I would be like at like a local punk rock dive, you know, some backyard party or like, you know, they're, you know, whoever was playing at the community center. But I got to see bands like suicidal and like, uh, Beowulf and like uh, there was a band called like Jughead's Revenge or like XL like I was a pretty punk rock little kid dude yeah, but it's not something that I remember so much as like her telling me the stories of it going down like I have like flashes because I was so young that literally it was like I kind of remember that she's like oh yeah dude I used to like I used to mob you all around town and like take you to all these punk rock shows and um dude I totally like I totally like diverted from what the hell we were talking about but anyway <laughs> Um, that was like my first exposure to music. But when I actually started getting into music was like when um, I discovered, uh, you know, like, I mean, aside from like the music that, you know, like your parents listen to or like their vinyl collection, which for me was like Hall and Oates or like my, my mom was pretty cool. So she would listen to like Led Zeppelin or Pink Floyd and stuff like that. But when I and so like I had like, you know, my mom had like the wall on eight track. She used to play like in her old she had like an old Ford Falcon. And she had the wall and a track and I have very, very early memories of hearing that record, like running around the back seat of, uh, of her Falcon, you know? And, um, but when I discovered music, this is where I'm trying to go here. I know I, I took the long way here, but, um, I discovered first, um, you know, those, those early punk rock, you know, like LA bands. And then, um, for me, it was like the Beatles and like Metallica and the Doors because that's like my aunt had those. Either she had them on CD or vinyl, and um, I would go to her house and I think I discovered like Metallica. Like she had like the the vinyl of Ride the Lightning or Master and Master of Puppets, and I just remember being like looking at those like album covers and being like scared that like I'm like oh my god, there's like crosses and. And in an electric chair and, and like it's all it's crazy or like she had deal holy diver on vinyl you know like i'm like what's going on this is scary let me listen you know what i mean and right that was like kind of me discovering like that kind of stuff and then when the columbia house thing came around that's kind of when i did rediscovered bands like led zeppelin like not just because my mom listened to it but because i found it like i discovered like led zeppelin 4 and like the Jimi hendrix are you experienced and what was some of the other ones that I had like Jethro Tull and uh, just like some of the weird stuff, like it was like on the catalog that you can order from, you know what I mean? And, and then the doors, LA woman, you know, that kind of stuff. And then from there, it just like, you know, it grew into, you know, that kind of is what sparked my, my journey as far as like, you know, being a student not just a listener, but a student of music and trying to figure out what it is exactly these guys were doing, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, you know, just that love of, of, the, of, you know, wanting to learn the craft for myself. Like, I'm like, oh, 
you know, this really like, this is really hitting me somewhere deep inside. Like I wanted, I want to make this stuff too. You know what I mean? And that's how I began my, my journey into music, but man, that was, that was, so now the podcast is over, everybody. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, <laughs> we just got was, to music, and we're going to stop now. Yeah. No, I mean, I was like, yeah, thanks for letting me go on that. I just, my, my brain took me on a, on a whole little journey right there for you. So thanks for letting me do that yeah. with you here on, on your podcast. No, that's good, man. That's why this is all just discussion, long form. We can go for however long. It doesn't matter, you know? No rules, no limits. So since we're talking about music now, I guess we should probably talk about Papa Roach a little bit. Yeah, sure, man. So, you know, for the people who don't know, I mean, how how did that all start? Because you guys were teenagers, right? We were, dude. Papa Roach was literally a garage band that I started with one of my best friends in high school. So, like, me and Jacoby met in high school. And at the time, he played bass and I played drums. I was, the you know, like the new kid from L.A., just moved into town. And, you know, I was trying to find people to jam with. And I had a couple other bands. Like, I was in this punk band called Chernobyl Kids. And then I had a new wave band called Nude. And uh, I think the – the clo- so, like, Chernobyl Kids was very Dead Milkman-inspired. Uh, and um, so it was kind of like, like this really super snarky and weird punk rock. It wasn't like that super fast hardcore punk rock. Um and then like nude this it was like a new wave band that kind of sounded like we i think we kind of thought we sounded like ned's atomic dust band or something or that was where we were going for or like morrissey or something and then jacoby and i meet and uh i find out he plays bass and i'm like dude come over to my house and jam i had my drum set up in the in the garage and he comes over and we jam once or twice and then we're like we should start a band so like we have this, you know, we're like, yeah, we're going to start this band. Jacoby's going to play bass and then I'll play drums. And then Jacoby's bass got stolen out of the back of his truck. And uh, <laughs> we were, we were stuck. We're like, what the hell? How do we start a band when, when I don't have a bass? I can't, you know, I got that one at the pawn shop and I can't afford to go get another one. Like we're just, you know, broke kids with no money. And I was just like, dude, why don't you sing? It's free. <laughs> and uh, that was the start and then so literally we had to go out and find, we found this other kid named Will James, who was a transplant from Southern California. And he was super inspired by like players like Mike Watt and, uh, and fire hose and, you know, that thing. And, um, and we found him and, uh, we started jamming together. And then we like recruited a friend of ours named Ben Luther, who was, uh, he played trombone in the school band and we just thought it was it would just be funny to have a trombone player. It was just like a bass, drums, vocals, and trombone at first. Papa Roach. That's that's the first incarnation of Papa Roach, literally. So what what was that sound like? Was it like a like a Mighty Mighty's Boss Tones thing or like real big? Fish? Dude, it was it was um, four knucklehead kids making noise in the garage. Is what it sounded <laughs> like. Literally, I mean, like, and we tried to do a cover of Jimi Hendrix's Fire, oh, which man. the irony is not lost on me that. Here we were, this four-piece outfit with no guitar covering a song by one of the greatest guitarists of all time. Yeah, we did that. We did that. So, Oh, man. But um, pretty quickly, you know, like uh, Ben kind of cycled his way out of the band. He was into other stuff, and he was just like, no, nah, I don't really want to, like, you know, I'm not trying to, like, play shows or do anything like that. We played a couple backyard parties together, and then we, um, we found Jerry Horton, and uh, we tried our best to recruit him. Like he was like, you know, we had heard, we had caught wind of Jerry. He was like from the south end of town. 
and a mutual friend of ours was like dating him at the time. And she's like, yeah, my boyfriend plays guitar and he's like really good. And he's in a band's like nine inch nails and Metallica. And we're like, Oh, let's get him to come over. Like, that'd be rad. Like we'll have like a, a real, like, you know, a real like metal guitar, you know what I mean? And we tried to get him to come over for like weeks and he, he just like shot us down. He's like, nah, I don't want to, nah, I'm cool, man. I'm like, I don't really want to, you guys are too weird or too just whatever. And finally Jacoby convinced him to come over and jam at my house. And, and then we had Jerry, like, and I knew, like, I knew like once he plugged in and like we fired up and like, there was like real crunchy, like actual rock and roll sounds coming out, you know, of the amp, like, dude, I was like, Oh man, this is rad. And, uh, you know, that, that version of the band existed for a little while. And, um, and then it, it, this is like around 93, 94. So I was like a senior in high school in 94. And I had kind of taken the, my parents advice and, uh, cause they were like, you know, you need to figure out what you're going to do with your life, kid. So I'm like, uh, I want to do the band. They're like, no, 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 that'll, that'll never, you'll never make it with that. Like you need to come up with something like a real plan, like what you want to do with your life. And so I decided to go to art school in Seattle and I had moved away for a minute, um, to do that. And they had gotten a different drummer. And um, I realized pretty quickly living in Seattle, I think I was only up there for like maybe a semester. So we're talking maybe like maybe three, four months I lived up there. And I just had this this ache in my heart, you know what I mean? In my soul that like, I'm like, dude, this is not, this is, I mean, I love art, you know, I, you know, I love doing the graphic design and and I appreciate my experience in that. But I just knew that, that this wasn't, that wasn't what I was meant to be doing. Like I was supposed to be making music with my band. And so I called my dad one day, uh, it was like a rainy day in Seattle. And I was looking out over the parking lot of my, uh, my dorm room, downtown Seattle. And I was like, dad, like, I want to move back. I want to move back home and I want to get back in my band. And he's like, okay, that's what you want to do. You know, he came and got me and I moved back and I had to convince the guys to let me back in the band because at that time they had, they had found another drummer and uh and he there he was doing pretty good so then i i said hey look man i know you guys got a new drummer but i'll play like percussion so like i had like a set of like conga drums and like a big floor tom and like some cymbals and stuff and like i was playing percussion for a minute a few months and we actually did some shows like that some gigs and um then it kind of came to this point where the drummer wasn't he felt like he wanted to explore other options in his life so he left and i got my i got my drum thrown back and um, and then at that time, we still had our friend Will James in the band. And then he had a, we had a gig booked in L.A. like in 96. It was like our first time going to L.A. And we were playing a, like a club show slash uh, showcase for labels. Like we heard some, you know, we had convinced a couple like people or people we thought were like re uh, record label people to come down and see us. And um, our bass player couldn't make it. Um, because he had he had taken a commitment to be a, a counselor at a church summer camp. And so he decided that, you know, he's like, no, nah, I took this commitment. I'm going to do this. And so we were kind of left stuck. Like, you know, do we cancel the show or do we what do we do? So we knew this kid, Tobin, from around town who was like other than Will was like the baddest bass player. Like he was like he could slap, you know, like play slap bass, funk, whatever, like where Will was more like, like I said, like a Mike Watt kind of a influenced bass player like will was very very heavily influenced from like um you know like those like funk 
like players like you know, I think he would throw around the name like Jocko Pastorius and like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Anyway, he could play his ass off. And he was like he was a lot younger than we were. He was only like uh, I think when we were uh, when we were seniors in high school, he was a freshman. So, um, you know, we had known him for quite a while before he before he came into the band. But um, that's when it was right, right around uh, 90, 96 was when we recruited Tobin. And we played that show, and he's been in the band ever since. Yeah, and um, that that was the the beginning of Papa Roach, pretty much like uh, as you, I, I would say I, I was gonna say as you know it today, but obviously the lineup is different today because I'm no longer in the band. So it the it's the beginning of the, I guess the the first era, the first incarnation of like the golden era of Papa Roach. You know what I mean? Because now they've they're, you know, in this whole other phase of their career. But a lot of people, like, it's funny because a lot of people talk about, you know, there's like, some people really like old Papa Roach and some people really like new Papa Roach. And then there's people like in the middle who like kind of like appreciate both. And um, it's just funny to, to think about that because none of us expected that we would, that there, we would begin this thing just as kids in high school that would last 20 years plus. You know what I mean? Like when you really think about it, like, holy crap, our first major label record was 20 years ago. We just celebrated that last year. And um, that's bananas, yo. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's super great. So was there a was there a moment where you're just like, holy crap, this is happening? Like as things were rolling? Man, you know, um, it's funny because I never really experienced i mean i guess i mean yeah i i kind of felt that but i kind of felt that really early on like like before you would think that like for me when it started feeling like oh man we really have something was kind of when we were still like in our infancy like as a as we were we were just a an indie band putting out our own records and our own merch and you know sort of uh working our way in the around the club circuit and working our way up that ladder, you know, in order to be able to like, you know, we started headlining clubs and headlining, um, you know, like our local community center, we would, we would put on our own shows there. Um, you know, basically we'd rent it out from the, the city and, uh, we worked out a deal with them where we could, we could basically like, um, host and promote our own concerts, you know, out of that place. And we started like selling that place out and that's like a 350, 400 seat, Maybe up to, no, it might even be up to like five, 600 people. I forget. There, dude, I mean, back in the days, I guess the, the fire code was a little bit looser than it is these days. Like we would cram people, like it'd be like wall to wall people in that, in that building. But so for me that, you know, that feeling kind of came early on. Like when we were an indie band and doing it ourselves, that's kind of when I was like, dude, we, we really have something here. You know what I mean? Did you have a, a bar of like where you thought you might get? at some point yeah man yeah like for me you know i remember back you know we'd have like you know bonfire powwows you know like over at jacoby's old house here where uh we would practice for a minute and we you know he literally had like a, a like a barrel like an oil barrel oil drum that we'd have bonfires in, and we just like you know sit around the fire and you know be drinking uh you know drinking you know 40s or whatever or or you know uh you know having you know just doing that kind of hang you know that whatever and we'd be dreaming like these pipe dreams of like dude if we could just if we could make it like as big as and this is before this is before 311 had made it super big right so 
But like in our mind, like if we can make it as big as this is like when 311 is like before the Blue Album came out, right? So, but I remember going to see them play, and they they were, they headlined at Berkeley Square, which was in um, the Bay Area in Berkeley, and that's like a tiny little club where like they they the next time they came around, they headlined the Great American Music Hall, which is a more of a uh, small mid-sized venue. So I guess I would still consider it a small venue, but you know they were touring around in a motorhome. And to us, like, that's what making it look like. So we're like, if we can get as big as like 311, you know what I mean? Where we could tour around the country in a motorhome and headline clubs this size, like, we're pretty good. And um, that was like, you know, that was before we got our record deal. And, and so even like after when we finally nailed that record deal with DreamWorks and got signed and put out the record, you know, in our wildest dreams, I think we felt like if, if we could sell like, you know, maybe a hundred thousand records, like that would be amazing. You know what I mean? Like that would be amazing for us. And then that, that benchmark just totally got blown out of the water, like right out the gate. So it was, it was pretty, it was a pretty interesting experience for us. What was that feeling like? I mean, landing that record deal for the first time, like we're signed. I mean, what, what goes through your mind? Oh man, at that point, at that point, you know, I mean, at many, at many stages along the way, like it's weird. I'd have to remind myself that because, you know, like as, as we began to sort of take things more seriously and began to feel like, okay, this is something that we could really do. And we had watched enough episodes of like behind the music or, you know, uh, read enough articles from people like Steve Albini who like, you know, cautioned against, you know, they, they really kind of exposed or explained like how the music business works in a sense. And, uh, and so we were kind of cautiously wary, you know, going into like these deals, like, Hey man, we want to make sure that our interests are being taken care of. Because at that point, like we're, we were already kind of doing it for ourselves, even before we got a record deal. I mean, we were doing pretty good numbers, you know, just selling, selling CDs, like out of like the trunks of, you know, the trunk of our, our, our van, you know, and at shows and like, you know, we were touring the West coast and we're like, Hey, we can just keep this ball rolling, you know, like this. But, um, so I, you know, it's weird because when we started getting approached by, because we had sent demo tapes, many, many demo tapes out to like many different labels. And we got so much rejection that we kind of felt like, Oh, I guess we'll just, you know, we'll just do it indie style. You know what I mean? And then, um, we had actually gotten approached by, um, a guy at, at Warner brothers who gave us a demo deal. And, uh, at that, at that point, it almost felt like the shoe was on the other foot. Like we were like very cautiously, we approached that thing very cautiously and wanted to make sure that our interests were, were being taken care of and, and that, you know, that, that we'd be able to, to do well on the other side of that. And, um, but we did the demo deal and ended up getting rejected by Warner brothers and picked up by DreamWorks records. DreamWorks was like, literally like, kind of like the, the A&R that signed us, Ron Handler, I guess had caught in wind of our band and heard about the, the the Warner Brothers deal. And he kind of started like, you know, snooping around a little bit and figuring out like, well, we're, you know, are they going to get signed or not? And then, so when we got, when we, when Warner's passed, like Ron was right behind, right behind that and like scooped us up really quick. And um, they gave us a great record deal that, you know, is, it's uh super it was beyond fair like it was like we got you know like on the number side we got a very very respectable percentage of like the sales of the record and which you know ultimately and en ended up 
facilitating us to be able to that and spending our money wisely when, you know, cause you know, when record labels give you money, like they're not just handing you money. Like you have to pay all that back through record sales, you know, and because of the deal structure that we had, we, and because we were very uh, responsible about not just taking a lot of large sums of money up front, we only took enough to basically see, uh, to, you know, kind of like meet our needs as far as what we needed for touring or promotion or whatever like that. We didn't take a bunch of money out to like buy Lambos, you know, I mean, we were very responsible in that way. But so all of our, all of our records like ended up like recouping and we did very well. And uh, we were really just kind of level headed about our business. And we had a great team around us at the time that, that helped, that helped, um, you know, see that through. And, um, I don't know if that answers your question or not. I keep going on these long tangents, but no, that's good, man. Fine, dude. I hope you don't mind. I'm just going for it over here. No, that's good stuff because it's it's crazy. I'm looking right now because you're talking about exceeding expectations. You know, you guys had a those first four albums. You had an album every two years, and then within that first four year span, you have what triple platinum, gold platinum. I mean, just cranking. Yeah, man. Yeah. So like Infest, I mean. It's certified triple, but I think the word around is that it's, it might be upwards of four or five by now, you know, 20 years on. Oh, for sure. Our second record. So like, you know, it did, it did 3 million plus records the first, you know, that first go around and that, I mean, for us, dude, I mean, talk about going like, we literally were like one of the biggest bands in music, like overnight, you know what I mean? Like we we're kind of, I think one of the biggest bands or acts of 2000, which when you think of that that year there was a lot going on with your boy bands and your Britney Spears and your, I forget who else, you know what I mean? And so to kind of, to kind of like, to have us be in that, in that club that, you know, like, wow, dude, and we got nominated for like Grammys. It was all very surreal and very, um, very unexpected for us, but it was a, it was a crazy ride, dude. I mean, we were not expecting to like out the gate, you know, just like, uh, to blow up so fast. Like we really thought it was going to, you know, like we really thought that hundred thousand record mark would, would take, you know, maybe one or two albums at least, you know what I mean? We build it slowly and that just isn't what happened. You know, it was, it was a sort of, we called it the demon hell ride of success. And like none of us, I don't think anyone is, is, uh, adequately equipped or prepared for that sort of experience. And the only, other band that I can think of that kind of went through that that I can think of right off the top of my head was like you know Nirvana who uh, but even then like they had like a they were signed and had and had been on nationwide tours as an indie band or like they were signed to, to sub pop and yeah their first label their first major label record like blew the hell up and made them I mean like dude I mean you want to talk about Nirvana they became like their success was like stratospheric like ours is like like we did pretty cool, you know what I mean? But that, you know, they were like, I think they sold like 10 million records, like their first, their first album. And, but I mean, as far as the, the, the type of experience where it's like, literally like you just blow the f up and none of us, no, none of us like really, you know, there's no like class or like instruction manual for how to, how to handle, you know, sudden fame and success. And that was, we just kind of had to figure it out. And we had to figure it out real quick. We talked about this before, but the you know the story of Last Resort, it's on Vice and YouTube right now. Was it a trip then to revisit that story all these years later? Yeah, man. It was, you know, can I tell you something about that? So originally when the piece got pitched to us, 
My awareness of it was that Vice was going to do a piece on Last Resort as a meme. Because, you know, like, I don't know if any of your listeners kind of know the song, like, from its presence in the meme space. Like, it's kind of it's kind of floating out there in that in that world, right? I mean, like, and so, like, I think, you know, when, when originally that, I mean, like, I don't know if you've ever seen the cut my pie into pieces. I mean, Denny's did like a, a an ad that was like a, a flex on the last resort lyrics. There's the cut my pizza. What is it? Cut my slice into pizza or something like this. There's a few of them out there and I'm sure like your listeners would know what I'm talking about. You can find them. You just do last resort meme. They're everywhere. And not to mention like there's people flexing on it on TikTok now. And so I think the, the original, the original, uh, intention of the piece was kind of like to explore that and then when we went in and did like the interviews and stuff like that i did like a two three hour interview for that piece um and as well as all the other members of the band you know jacoby and jerry and and uh tobin i think somewhere along the way they found a different story and they ran with that it became more about you know our friend the, the how the song is about our friend mark and his his struggle with mental health and his experience he had like this suicidal breakdown um that was it was pretty intense experience for all of us i mean we were really young when when that happened to him and um they they discovered that story i think somewhere in the middle of all the interviews and stuff and it wasn't until i mean like we got to see the piece the day it dropped like with everybody else like you know in the world like we they didn't give us any like preview or send us a link to to view like a a private, you know, whatever, um, a private link to, to watch the piece beforehand. Like we got to see it the day it dropped, just like everybody else. And to me, I was taken aback. It was like, Whoa, this is, this is different than what I thought. But I, I was really, really, um, pleasantly surprised with the direction they took. And I thought it, it added a lot more credibility to, to what our experience was as opposed to like, Oh, here's this band that had like a hit back in the day. And now it's a meme. You know what I mean? It's like, it really is about a lot more than that, you know, and I'm, I'm really stoked that they went, that they chose to, to tell that story. They did a great job covering that too, because I, you know, I loved the song and I, I understood the emotions behind it, or at least I felt that I did, but I never knew like the whole depth of that story. Yeah, man, it was a trip. It was a trip, dude. And, uh, and, and like, like for, you know, it's funny though. It's, it's the, it's, when you start talking about, you know, if you want to talk about like uh, production and, and how like a production, a producer will take sort of certain liberties with, with that, with their timing and how they present the story. One of the things I noticed was that they kind of made it sound like we wrote last resort very early on in our existence. And then we, that was kind of the catalyst for us becoming uh, successful as an indie band first and gaining, getting this record deal. And that's not the case. Like really, like we had built this following and became become this kind of successful indie band beforehand. And it wasn't until we got that demo deal with Warner Brothers that's when we wrote Last Resort. Was 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 uh, we needed a couple new songs to for Warner Brothers to hear. And I think we wrote Last Resort and uh, Dead Cell. I think was on that demo. And she loves me not, if I'm not mistaken. And I forget what there was like four songs on that demo and um, yeah, last resort was one of them. So it, you know, vice kind of made it sound like we had written last resort and then we 
and then we became a big local band or a big indie band and that wasn't that wasn't the case it was so i just want to clarify that here on your show yeah no i appreciate that and so you mentioned local band was that was that a thing like when in sacramento for a while were you a, a legit local band until you blew up oh yeah um, well okay so sacramento was a is a was a very like the Sacramento music scene was popping in the nineties. I mean, there were so many bands coming out of there. Um, and like, it, it was a, a crazy scene because, you know, aside from clubs, I mean, there would be like basement shows and, and, and this, that, and the other thing. And us coming from Vacaville, which is West of Sacramento, about 30 miles West, we were kind of viewed as at least in our, in our, experience or what we perceived we were kind of viewed as the outsiders to that scene because they had a very tight knit like there was you know like bands like the deftones and far and you know some bands that uh that you know that were very well known in the local scene um that didn't necessarily get you know record deals or whatever but there was like prayer wheel and simon says got signed out of that out of that scene uh there was a band called payo yeah, man, dude. I mean, like, dude, Simon says, like, dude, Mike Johnson, what a sick drummer, dude. Like, that guy, wow. Even back in the day, like, everyone knew, like, that dude, that dude's a beast on the drums. And now he has, like, this really successful career as a as a teacher and does, like, uh, clinics. And I think he's got a Drumeo channel or something like that. He's a badass, dude. But, um, yeah, dude, so for us, like, we always kind of viewed ourselves as the redheaded stepchild to the scene. And so we kind of focused our energy. We just kind of saw Sacramento as one of the, one of the goals on the path to, uh, to our, you know, to our, uh, our journey. You know what I mean? So like we focused equally as much playing there as we did. And we also focused on uh, building our name in areas like uh, Petaluma, which is like, there's the Phoenix theater in Petaluma that would have, uh, bands local as well as national bands play. Um, there was like the, the Bay area club music scene that we, we broke into and, and, and were able to kind of climb there and build our following there. And then there was the San Jose, uh, music scene, um, which had its own set of bands. And, and so we focused on playing shows at, um, the cactus club out there. And like, we just kind of built it, you know, we built this whole thing and like, and try to network as best we could with other bands. And that even that grew into networking with bands in Southern California. So for, so like one of the bands that we got to know early on was alien ant farm and uh head PE as well. And we would network and trade shows with them. Like, we'd be like, Hey, you know, you can come up and head, you know, like we'll headline at this venue here in Sacramento or at, and our favorite was to toss out, you know, the, the carrot of the, uh, the Vacaville community center, because it was always guaranteed a sellout show every time we would play no matter what. And so we were able to have like some, some, you know, pretty, uh, well, I guess well-known today, you would call them like today they're well-known, like maybe not, you know, it was more like everyone was kind of coming up at that time. Like, Deftones and Corn had already kind of like made it or like uh, Snot. Uh, do you remember Snot with Lynn Strait? Oh, yeah, I love Snot. Yeah, dude. So like Snot came up and opened for us at the Vacaville Community Center. We did like a trade, you know, back and forth, like Alien Ant Farm, like Head PE. I think uh, Head PE, uh, they would open, they opened up for us, I think, a couple times at the community center. And then they, we would open for them like in Sacramento or in Reno or in Southern California and stuff like that. So 
it was just about building like this, this kind of, I call it spiraling out. Like we kind of became like a name in our hometown and then like really kind of started like, uh, building and, and cultivating that, that energy and that momentum, like, you know, in, in ripples, like around, around the area and around the region eventually. And then, and that's how it all started was, was just doing it that way. That's crazy. That's, that gives good inspiration to our local scene here too, of, you know, what, mm-hmm. what you can do. I got a sidebar real quick though. You mentioned head PE. Mm-hmm. Another person that lives here is the singer of head PE. Yeah. I heard that Jared. Yeah. I heard that man. Yeah. I got to track him down. I don't have his number. I don't have any contact info for him. He actually married a girl I went to high school with and moved here long, like years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I guess just to out everybody, like, you know, the Blackville Brides are? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So Jake Pitts uh, went to my high school also. He was a year behind me and he was actually in a, a corn cover band, actually kind of around the time like Papa Roach was coming up and stuff. They were playing corn covers together and then he ends up in, in Blackville Brides. So kind of kind of crazy. And then Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad went to my high school too. So all these cool people came from my high school, like not putting myself on the list, but. Oh man, you're definitely on the list, dude. All the, all the cool Hell things. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Oh yeah, Randy, dude, that is, that's cool. I did not know that about uh, the dude from BBB or um, I knew Aaron Paul was from out here. I know he's got like a, so when we were looking for, for houses out here, um, we ended up stumbling across a, a, a video that he that was on YouTube about he was like showing off his cabin that he got like up in McCall I guess yep yep and uh, me and me and my wife watched that and we thought it was it was pretty cool and we're like oh yeah I guess he's from Idaho or whatever like that and uh, that, that was pretty cool but another uh, friend of mine is I guess friends with him and was talking about they they I guess he Airbnb's that cabin or something like that so they had they'd gone there just to stay for a long weekend or something like that and they said it's pretty rad oh wow. So maybe I need to hit up Aaron Paul and be like, hey, dude, can we like Airbnb your cabin for a weekend? That'd be cool. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, that's just our tiny, tiny corner of celebrity over here in, in Boise. So yeah, sorry. So I had to sidebar that one. Yeah, man. That's cool, dude. I, um, you know, it's funny because my, my uh, BBB sort of, uh, they blew up sort of after, after my, like I had already gotten off the road and kind of like, I kind of took a, a knee like in the music business, uh, you know, right around 2008, you know what I mean? I kind of like worked my way sort of out of the, out of the bubble. And I've been active like since then, but like 2008 is when I left Papa Roach and I've had projects and stuff, uh, after the fact, but you know, I haven't really, you know, I'm still, I guess I got a name or whatever. And I still know a lot of people. I'm well networked, but, uh, haven't been on tour since like 2008, but, uh, BBB, like they, I remember seeing them in the early days of their career. Like at, they would always be at NAM show at the NAM show. And I'd be like, because there was like this crew of guys that would like run around the NAM show. And I thought they were like a motley crew impersonator band or something. I'm not talking. <laughs> they had that eighties like thing, right. That, you know, that, they had the vibe, that yeah. sort of glam thing happening. Right. And uh, at least I think that was BBB. Cause when I saw the after they blew up and I saw they were kind of still doing that that thing i was like i wonder if those are the guys from the nam show that i always see running around and you know they'd be they'd be running around like the full they just look like motley crew from the 80s like showed up in orange county you know at the at the conference it was right they had that look it's like a new age motley crew totally totally man totally and i'm glad to see that dude like dude congratulations man it's it's such a it's such a trip to see to like to have had the experience of of my own career 
and you know friends of ours career like sort of the class of our, our our class you know if you want to call it like our alma mater or whatever like the year that we came up and all the the groups of bands that we saw we came up together with but now and since like in over the years just being able to see like these uh these younger acts like to see their arc and like their success and just like root for them and be like, dude, right on. Like, you know, I remember like seeing that with like my chemical romance. I remember like our producer, we were working with Howard Benson and he's like, I'm going to go check out this band from like, uh, I, where are they from? I think like New Jersey or something. And he's like, I'm going to go see them play at the, at like this club in Hollywood. And I remember going out with Howard to go see this band and it was MCR. And I'm like, and just to like, look at their career. I'm like, those guys are massive. Down, you know what I mean? But I remember when they were just little, little baby band, like from the East Coast, you know what I mean? And it's wild, dude. It's wild stuff, dude. I really looking back on everything, it's 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 uh it's really cool to see everyone's journey, you know, to watch be able to watch that and sort of just kind of look on appreciatively for my own experience and then also to have that uh sort of congratulatory pride, you know, for everyone who really is able to really do it to make it in this business because it's not easy, dude. It really isn't, you know. Yeah, no, it's it's cool to just to witness as a you know as a fan and from my perspective too because I, I saw, you know, Mike Ham on a, a side stage at Warp Tour, you know, back in the day, and saw Katy Perry on a side stage at Warp Tour and Alien Ant Farm and all these oh, different yeah. bands, you know. Dude, if, if I'm not mistaken, Katy Perry sang either backup vocals and i think she was in a a, uh, a video for pod i think if i'm not mistaken i think she was in one of their videos and i know she definitely sang backing vocals on one of their songs early on i forget which which song which album it was on but yeah that may be a little fun fact that you that you weren't aware of you're you're right i remember hearing it about a rock band i couldn't remember which one it was but i think that sounds about yeah right. it was the homies the homies, P.O.D. Man, that's awesome. Like, all the connections are, are crazy. Looking back on your career with Papa Roach, did you have a, a favorite album to record that was just fun or maybe more meaningful? Man, um, I'll tell you, I mean, they were all they were all fun to make. I mean, and it's, and it's, it's always like that thing of, like, you know, people ask, like, what's your favorite song or what's your favorite album? And it's kind of like, I know it's such a generic answer, but it's like trying to trying to choose like which of your children is your favorite. You know what I mean? It's like they're all my babies. You know what I yeah. mean? And I, you know all the ones that that I made, all the records that I made with Roach, um, and they're all near and dear to me. And I've had you know each one of them was its own unique experience. You know as far as writing it, making it, touring on it. But I think the the album that's maybe closest to my heart is actually the last record that I made with Pop Roach, and it's called the Paramore Sessions. And um, it was it was at a time in my life when I was going through I was like a, this, the darkest period of my life. And that's I, I designed the album cover. And that's why the album cover is black, because uh, it's black with a gold font. At least the original album cover was black with Papa Roach and gold font. And it was representative of, uh, you know, black, almost meaning like death uh, and then gold, because like I felt like, you know, like uh, there's sort of a light at the end of the tunnel or like a heart of gold kind of situation happening with me. And um, I wrote a lot on that record as well as like Jacoby channeled a lot of what I was going through on that record. And if you listen, if you listen to the lyrics and the story that, 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 that album tells, cause in, in a sense, it, it, it kind of is a concept album, but um, I knew somewhere, somewhere inside of me, I knew that that was the last record I was going to make 
with Papa Roach. And um, uh, for me, I mean, without going too, without going too off the beaten path or getting too uh, weird about it, I mean, like, uh, how do I say it? Like, I I didn't know. I think it was. I mean, maybe some people in our camp or around you, like maybe you had a feeling like that. I, I, you know, I was in a really deep, dark place and like substance abuse was a huge problem for me. And it actually came to a point where people, people thought I was going to die. And, um, and I, I, I maybe, you know, kind of thought I was going to die. Uh, anyway, without going too far deep down that rabbit hole, um, I, I knew somewhere inside, deep inside that, that, that record was, was my last record with them. And, um, if you listen closely to the to the lyrics, and especially in a, in a particular sequence, um, they really kind of tell my experience and my story, like through that through that record. So that one that one is a special baby for me. Well, you know what we might need to do now at some point is do like a a separate podcast breaking down each of your albums. Oh yeah, man, that'd be rad. Like song by song kind of thing. Oh man, that'd be yeah, that'd be that'd be super rad, dude. It's funny because like in fast was kind of like you know. You know, they always say like you have, you know, your entire life to make your first record and then like you have literally like a matter of months to make your second record. And Infest was like, you know, there's a huge story of, about where those songs came from. And like they all kind of, you know, that album was uh, sort of curated and cultivated and written over a number of years, like over a period of different uh, EPs and independent releases that we had made, as well as like some new songs that we had written. And it all kind of culminated in this album that was in fest. And, and then the second record is funny. Cause I was just talking to Tobin about it the other day. He's like, dude, our second album is so crazy because it's like, our, basically the, the elevator pitch of love, hate tragedy is like, Oh my God, our dreams came true. Our, like we're rich and successful and famous. We're so sad. <laughs> <laughs> and now that's, that's like the story of love, hate tragedy. It's like right there. It's like our wildest dreams came true. We're miserable. Right. Yeah, it was it was crazy, you know. And then yeah, with the third one, with uh, getting away with murder, like that one, there was a whole situation where our label had full had gotten had uh, dissolved. We were originally signed to DreamWorks Records, and it and it was folded into the the bigger uh, Universal Music uh, tent, and we had gotten reassigned to Geffen Records, and which geffen record we just landed in geffen's lap they didn't sign us there was nobody there at that at that label who was our champion or like whatever they're just like what are we going to do with this band we didn't we didn't ask for them we didn't sign them and so we had to we had this whole experience of having to reprove ourselves as a band and then like even though love hate tragedy was it went gold but in the industry's eyes it was deemed a failure you know by because it didn't do as well as the first record and so we had a, it was like this uphill battle and like our, you know, the fire was burning really strong with us on getting away with murder. And like, we had something to prove. And, and I think we did like, cause we kind of went, that was like our first kind of comeback really. I mean, like we ended up having singles like murder and, and scars, which was like a huge hit. I think it, it even transitioned. It even kind of crossed over into pop pop radio for a minute and, and uh, it was kind of like the comeback of the band. Like, hey, man, you know, like, we're not going anywhere. Like, you know, you're not going to get rid of us that easily. I mean, like, we are like, in a, in a very real way, like, we are like cockroaches. Like, you know, we're hard to kill, you know? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, we got we to gotta dive deeper into that at some point. Just kind of break down totally. each one. Totally, man. I'm down. I'm down for that ride. Awesome. Awesome. Let's do it. We'll set it up for sure. 
you know, you guys tr traveled the globe, right? I mean, being in that band, is there a place you went to that you would want to go back to that you're just like, I want to go back. That place was awesome. Oh man. So many places. I mean, like just having the opportunity to like, to just be in, you know, just, I mean, some, just as a kid, you know, middle-class kid coming from, from LA, like I never, you know, I never expected a dream that I would be working like in, you know, just traveling the, the globe, like for work, you know, like just being like in Paris or Tokyo or, you know, London or, you know, like Caracas, Venezuela, you know what I mean? Or playing, we got to uh, do a stadium tour with Red Hot Chili Peppers in Australia, you know, in 2002 on our second record. And dude, just all these, I mean, there's been so many really just wonderful experiences and opportunities and, and blessings, you know, along the way. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, I mean, all of it, all of it really. I mean, looking back on it now, I can look back on it with fondness and appreciation. Like I wish I would have had the presence of mind to, to, uh, to appreciate it more when I was going through it the first time. Um, because, you know, it's like when you're in the bubble and it's, and it's your career and you have to have your, your nose to the grindstone and you're working hard and trying to stay relevant and all this stuff like that. It's, it's a totally different mindset than when you can kind of take a step back and look from outside the bubble and look, you know, look back on it with the, with the clarity of a vision of, um, you know, that, sort of that rear view mirror kind of thing and, and really see it for what it was. And it was, it was rad, man. It was really rad. Throughout all that, is there like a, a proudest accomplishment or just kind of all of it as a whole? Yeah, man, I, that's how I see it. I just look at the whole thing. I, I look at the big picture of the whole, the whole run. And I was like, you know what, man, like I really did have a pretty good run, run of it. You know what I mean? And, and um, I mean, you know, nowadays, I mean, like I said, even after leaving the band, like I haven't been on the road, since 2008 which is now that's like uh going on 13 years you know like i think well actually i played my last show with them um just before thanksgiving and then um and then i officially left the band in 2008 but yeah like really in for all intents and purposes i haven't been on the road in earnest like on a on a major like tour or whatever i've been toured in earnest in about 13 years and um but i've been staying busy I do, uh, I, you know, I had a couple projects, like I would, for a minute, I had a, a two man project in uh 2000, like right after leaving the band, I had this, uh, this two man group called last angels with my, my buddy, uh, Jake D from, um, from Sacramento. And, uh, we did like a little indie release. It was kind of more like a, a, a local thing. Like we never did any nationwide touring or anything like that, but we played a few shows in town and, and released an EP. And then I was in a, a band with uh, Brian Wheat from Tesla has a side band called Soul Motor that I was the drummer for 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 a minute. And uh, I had a project with my boy uh, Marcos from P.O.D. Uh, it was uh, me and uh, Joe Leffler from Chevelle was on bass and Lucas Rossi was the singer. And that was called Daylight Division. That was right around 2009. And then in 2012, I had another project uh, with uh, Ben Moody. Uh, from Evanescence, uh, he was the guitar player, and uh, our boy, um, our boy uh, Josh Newell, who was the original bass player of of uh, In This Moment, but since has uh, he's built a career out of uh, he's like a, a, a engineer producer now, he's like a pretty well known like metal. He produces a lot of like uh, metal stuff, like uh, Intronaut, if you know who they are. 
um they're i think from uh france or something like that but uh and then lucas was the singer for that too and um we played some shows we, we did some festivals and we did we played the shiprock cruise that's actually why we started the band was um i was out on shiprock as a guest one year and i was having dinner with the with the owner of the the cruise this guy alan alan koenig and i was and he's like so how do you dig it and i'm like oh man i love it i wish i wish i could play it he's like hey i'll tell you what if you put a band together we'll have you we'll have you uh play the cruise and so that was the uh that was the impetus for starting this band in 2012 and it was called halo method and uh i tracked down ben moody and we put this band together we got lucas from out you know wrangled in and and you know we we've had good times and like and nowadays like i've slowed down even more since then and pretty much now like i just kind of do what i want when i want like whether that's you know showing up at a at a benefit you know all-star jam kind of thing or um i would do that you know once a year like the 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 pd and in the at the rock station in sacramento would have a, a benefit for uh children with cancer every year and i'd you know show up and get to play play with uh pretty heavy heavy hitters like in the music industry like uh i don't know i can't think of the name right now but you know it was, it was an all-star jam type situation where i do like for a number of years i did the 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 all-star band uh the all-star cover band on Shiprock called the stowaways which is like a a, a a revolving lineup of different you know guys and, and and girls from different bands you know and and uh i did that for a while and that was fun and but now it's like I, I just, you know, my pace of life is a lot slower and I just kind of do, like I said, like I just kind of do what I want when I want. And every now and then, like I'll, I'll get, you know, I'll get thrown some a song or two from a friend, you know, a good friend. And like I just did a song with Dryden Mitchell from Alien Ant Farm right before the first lockdown last year. And he's going to put that out. I'm not sure when or, or where, but it should show up at some point. And I don't know. That's just kind of how I do it now. You know, just kind of chill. It's pretty great. That's awesome. I was going to say, if you ever want to, uh, you know, jam out up here with some local musicians, I can definitely hook you up. Dude, right on. Right on, man. I'm down to see what the Boise scene is like and has to offer. And I'm actually building a uh, a studio uh, at my house. Um, we haven't even started construction on it yet. But that was like when we first moved here, I was like, you know, because in California, I, I um, you know, the house we were living in, I didn't really have a place where I could, like, really set up my full kit. I've been pretty much playing my electronic drums. That's what I've been playing on, like, the last almost, like, 10 years. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah. I'm like, dude, when we got up here, I was like, babe, I was telling my wife, like, babe, I really want to build, like, a, my own studio and have, like, a, a real room that I can work in and, like, set up my real drums and have real recording equipment and, and just kind of, like, you know, even if even if it's just for making music for shits and giggles, you know what I mean? Or or, you know, I don't know, like my son, it's funny, like my son, my 11 year old um, son is uh, <laughs> he before we moved, he was in the school of rock band uh, in, in Sacramento where we were living. And he's a really talented singer, man. He was like I would get feedback from the from the um, the instructors. They're like, man, like, you know, Bong's doing really he's really like one of our best singers that we have at the school. And. He's got some pipes, man. He's, that kid's got, he can sing, he can belt, you know what I mean? So maybe, maybe I end up like producing like his band or his garage band when he's in high school or something like that. I don't know. I don't know what it's, what it's all going to look like, but 
it's all whatever I want it to be. I'm just trying to have the best experience in the simulation that I can, you know? That's super cool, man. You're uh, We have the Boise Rock School here, too, which is sort of similar to what you're talking about. Yeah, dude, I heard about that place. I actually called them up to kind of figure out before we moved up here. I um, I uh, I gave them a call to kind of see what they were about. It's 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 like very similar to like School of Rock. Right. So, yep. Um, yeah, man, I, um, you know, that might be something I, <laughs> that uh, maybe, you know, I get him involved in, you know, either sooner or later or maybe he maybe it's about doing uh they i know they offer summer camps in the summer and i think that would be cool and so um yeah it's definitely something we're looking into for him talking about your kids for a second what do they think of all this yeah first when we had brought up the idea of of moving you know they were they were super um you know they, they there was there was an adjustment there like at first they were like wait what do you mean we're gonna move we're gonna move like we, we like it here and like yeah we like it we like it here too you know we loved our our home and and it felt like it was a great, a great, uh, home for us. But, um, you know, like I said, there was, there was this feeling and this general sense of like, of something inside our gut that was saying it's time to go. And we fought it off for a while too. We, we kind of stuffed it for a minute, like a good, a good month or two months and kind of put it, put it down Cause we thought maybe, oh, maybe we're just tripping. Maybe it's, maybe it's not, you know, maybe this is really something that we're just kind of creating in our own minds, but that feeling never, never went away. And even after finding our new home out here in Idaho and moving in, like um, when we, when we came over the hill, over the mountain that last time, you know, like with the moving truck behind us and we were in our car and, it just, there was this sense of relief and it felt like we were, we were home. And conversely, like the last time we, we headed back towards California, we were driving over the, over the, the Donner Pass. There was a, like a weird, like a crazy energy. It was like nauseating in a way. Like we're, it, we just, we just didn't feel like this was our place anymore. You know, California just didn't feel like it was like it was for us anymore. And, um, and now that we're here, like every morning I wake up, damn, I keep saying like, darn it. Uh, I get anyway, a buzzer, a little beeper. Right. Every morning when I wake up and, and we just look around and, or like we're driving around town, like doing our daily stuff, you know, running out to the store, running errands. Like we just feel, we feel like blessed that we get to live here now and and that's 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 how you want it to feel and like the kids at first didn't understand it then they kind of fought against it but now when we finally ended up here and we moved in and they settled in they even they tell us like we love it here we really love it here and and that for us we couldn't ask for any better uh any better feedback from them and because they you know you want your kids to have a good run of things and and hope you know they settle in and fit in and make new friends and, and all of that. And it looks like it's, I mean, like I said, we're only, we're only a few months into this experience, this journey, but so far we just feel really blessed to be here. That's good to hear, man. Boise is a great place for, for families. You know, that's why I ended up moving back from California. Cause I was like, if I ever want to raise a family and that kind of stuff, I think this is a place to do yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. 
it's real, just the whole vibe of, of the people and and uh, the sense of community and and just the pace of life and just how everything like there's a lot there's a lot for kids to do here and a lot of um, you know like for us like we were talking about earlier just the outdoor outdoor activities and that kind of stuff getting be able to get out not that we couldn't do it in California but for some reason it just seems a lot more accessible here. I don't know if that makes sense at all. And I don't even know if it makes sense to me, but for some reason it's, it seems like, because that was one of our favorite things to do, um, you know, in Cali was to go just head out into the mountains for a weekend, like in camp or go head out to the beach and camp on the beach and, and just, you know, get outdoors and do that kind of stuff. But we found ourselves over the last, especially over the last year, I mean, we couldn't leave the house for a while and right. that was a super bum out. And, um, I just feel like things here are, you know, a, a lot more conducive to being able to actually get out and live life, if that makes sense. For sure. So usually I, well, sometimes I, I close out these things with like random rapid fire stuff. So let's do it. Best dad joke. Cause I saw the book. Yes. Uh, damn. Oh, now that I do, I wish I had the damn book in front of me. <laughs> uh, crap. You got me, dude. You got me. I know I have a book full of them. Yeah, no, that's a um, tough one. Oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, crap. Damn it. I, ha I had, dude, you know what? As soon as I hang up from this call, I'm going to get like 10 of them in a row and right in my brain. Like, oh, why did I say that one? But yeah. yeah, dude. Hey, man, I'm a dad. It's part of my gig now. So I got I got to entertain the kids. I got to come. I got to come with that dad humor, bro. Gotta gotta have that book. Right when I asked that, I was like, "That's that's like the hardest thing to remember, like off the top of right. your head, you know." Especially when I've I've do I've been doing all this mental gymnastics, like recount, you know, going back through the the, the memory banks and right. telling this whole story on this podcast, and then I'm like, "Now I gotta remember dad jokes too." <laughs> you know, whatever, man. I'll I'll circle back with you on that one. No, that's good, man. I throw it all over the place. Um, so this one's easy. Favorite '90s film. Mm. Oh man, there's a few natural born killers. Oh, all right. Nice. Favorite superhero. Bro. Batman. Okay. I was like, that was an internal conflict on that one. Yeah. Well, there was, there was so much, I mean, cause you know, Wolverine, like when, back when I was a kid and reading comics, like it was like my two favorite were like Batman and then like Wolverine. But then there's also, I mean, like if you want to start talking about like the MCU and like them bringing that into like that whole universe, like dude, Iron Man is such a badass. And like, there's, I mean, the whole Avengers saga and that thing, man. I'm a huge fan. I love those movies. I love all the MCU movies, man. They're great. And I'm watching WandaVision right now, so like, I'm on board, dude. I'm on board. Nice. So on that note, uh, favorite childhood toy. My favorite childhood toy was, um, I I don't want I, it's, it's a toss up of either. Uh, I'm thinking I'm going back to way early in my childhood now. Like so, it's either a toss up between my Star Wars toys or my GI Joe toys. Oh man! And then the toy that I always wanted but I never got was uh, there was this uh, anime show on TV back in the day called Robotech, and I always wanted like some of those toys but I never got one. Huh? I have never yeah. heard of that. Robotech. Oh man, you can look into it. It's great. So. Only a couple things left. Uh, streaming TV shows. Like, what are you streaming right now? Ooh, like I said, WandaVision right now. Um, what else? Um, 
you know, I just saw, I just watched the uh, Beastie Boys documentary on Apple, on Apple Plus. That was really super rad. I'm trying to get my kids to watch it with me, but they don't seem to be into it. And I'm like, you guys don't understand. <laughs> you guys need to see this. This is history right here. You need to know. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll catch that later. But um, let's see, what else? Um, my lady and I were watching Ozark. For a minute, oh, I think I'm kind of, I kind of fell out of uh, out of the loop with that one. I got to catch up with that one. But what else, babe? Oh man, uh, sort of a, a older now. It's it's a it's, it hasn't had a new season yet. But Black Mirror, I, oh, I yeah. you heard of that? Oh, Dude, yeah, Black Mirror is amazing. And then there was a there was like a another show in the similar vein on Amazon called Electric Dreams, and that was that was awesome. Um. What else? Uh, the Mandalorian, obviously. Oh, yeah. Of course. <laughs> Obvi, hello. <laughs> Man. Dude, I, and I can't wait for the, the Boba Fett. The Boba Fett show. We don't get that till December, though, the Boba Fett show. I'm like, dude, what are we going to do until then? So I can't wait for that. But, dude, that, the end, like the season finale, hello. Like, dude, are you kidding me right now? Like, Luke Skywalker shows up and just annihilates. It's like, it's like I, I got everything. I, I got everything I wanted out of, uh, my childhood, you know, it, uh, Star Wars as a Star Wars fan as a kid, like that's everything I wanted to see, as you know, as a, as a young kid that I never got with the prequels or the sequels, the new trilogy, you know, finally got to see Luke just really like throw it down, even if it was a CGI Luke, you know what I mean? It was, it was still badass, dude. Like it was rad. Nobody saw that coming. I, I mean, I just wanted to find out where Baby Yoda came from. That was it. I didn't know we were gonna get all that. Right. Right. Oh, and then uh, who was it that uh, someone? <laughs> what was it? Someone was telling me they they were like, uh, "What if Baby Yoda was?" Oh man, what was it? Some kind of weird, like crazy connection that, like, what if Baby Yoda was actually this or whatever? And I was like, "No way!" It blew my mind. And I'm like, "That's actually a plausible theory." Oh man, like, what it. if Baby Yoda was a uh, like a ends up being like a a Sith or something. I forget what it was, man, but I was like, no way. It blew my mind. There might, there might be a YouTube video. I'll circle back with you on that one too, but all right. Yeah, man, little Grogu. Like how awesome is that? Like I was, I'm still interested to find out like, what is his story? And like, yeah, like he kind of showed up in the thing and then Luke takes him on. Oh, oh, here's what it was. What if, what if baby Grogu is a knight, a knight of Ren, you know, the Knights of Ren, right. From the, from the, from the sequels. From the new trilogy, yeah. Like, what if Grogu? Like, what if he was like sort of off off camera, or like, what if he? Like, what was his part in that? Like, or if he had any kind of part? Because those that species, right? Like Yoda, like they live like forever, you know. And uh, so, yeah. What if? What if Baby Grogu ends up being one of the Knights of Ren? That was that was the the theory. I was like, oh, that's crazy. Huh. Let's see. There's still a ton of story left to tell. Oh, yeah, man. Absolutely. So to, to piggyback off the shows, what new music are you into right now? Dude, uh, obviously uh, the new uh, Papa Roach Reloaded with uh, TikTok star Jarris Johnson. Huge fan of that. Plug, yeah, plug, plug. Yeah, dude, yeah, this kid, this this kid from TikTok, man, like remixed and and re uh, remastered, you know, the Last Resort, which and like he actually got – the guys in the band to uh they record they went in and recorded a whole new version of that song like kobe went in and recut vocals and all that and uh turned out pretty cool dude so 
that was that just went down in the last few weeks. I thought that was really cool. Um, as far as new music or newer newer acts, I mean, like, I'm sort of old now, so I don't quite so much keep up with like, I don't quite have my finger on the pulse of what's immediately popping off, but um, some of the newer ish bands that I've been into have been like Fever Three Three Three. Um, we love them. There's uh, like Grandson, like out of uh, I don't know if you know who he is. Yeah, uh, it'd be fun. Who else? Um, man, uh, there's this this uh, newer guy, this artist named Des Rocks. Yep. Um, that it is out there right now, and he's uh, actually a buddy of mine is is the guy that that helped sign him. Um, and he's super rad. Um, who else, dude? Like, there's a lot. I mean, there's like, it's so weird because we live in a, a day and age where there's so much happening in music at all times that it's hard to keep up with. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. And uh, there's a lot of really cool shit out, um, though. Man. Yeah, I have to go do some more research on that, too. But yeah, definitely those 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 few bands. Um, you know, yeah, Fever. Fever is super rad, man. Oh, man. That's one of the best live shows. I've been knowing that kid. Uh, well, he's not a kid. I've been knowing that dude, Jason Alon, for, yep. for a minute because he's actually he's actually uh, friends with my cousin. from. They know each other from Inglewood, right? So, um, you know, like uh, Jason. I knew about uh, Jason from when he was in Let Live, and I was, yep. I was super supportive and was a fan of Let Live. And go out, when, when he rolled through Sacramento, I'd go see the band play and stuff, and just been kind of, you know, following what he's been doing for a number of years now. And then when he left Let Live and started Fever, um, you know, I was just like, wow, dude, he's taking it to a whole other level. And uh, just watching what, you know, like I was mentioning earlier about, you know, being able to see um, people's arc, you know, like to watch their journey evolve and watch them um, sort of becoming, you know, who, who they are. And, uh, that's been that's been a real trip to to watch his ride. It's pretty cool. He's a good dude. He was actually on here a couple months ago, back in October. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. They uh, they played a free X show a couple years ago, and I'm telling, I hadn't seen them yet. I we obviously yeah. had heard the songs, and all of our jaws just dropped because of their just their energy and the craziness they bring. Oh yeah, dude. Their live shows were insane, insane. Yeah. And I mean, and that's something that's sort of new. Like I remember going to see Let Live. Um, and and uh like they were they were they were awesome and on fire but like fever is a whole different level i mean like dude they're just man but like if, if you haven't been out if you haven't had a chance to see fever 333 layer this is for the listeners when when everything you know comes back online and you can go see shows like go see fever i'm trying to i told jason i moved up here and i'm like dude let me know when you come through boise and uh and you know we'll throw down and he's like yeah dude absolutely so yeah i can't wait for that oh i have a um a dad joke for you all right. all right so this just came to me so did you hear about the uh magician in mexico no yeah yeah he, he got on stage and he was going to do a trick and um you know he count he counts uno dos and then he disappeared without a trace Oh man, I need the uh where's my laugh button? Hold on, let's see if I find it. <laughs> There's one on here. Yeah, baby. Woo! Oh, wait. There it is. Oh, 
awesome. We'll end it on that. We got to end it on the dad joke. Absolutely. Seriously, I appreciate you doing this. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. And yeah, I'm around town, bro. That's, how, that's what's up. So Sounds good. We'll throw it down. All right. Good talk, man. All right, Randy.